Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of GSU ENI Radio and Stone. Got a full house. I am looking forward to this segment. This one's a little different than some of them that we've done, or maybe all of them that we've done here at GSU ENI, in that all of the guests are entrepreneurs. We don't have any faculty in here. We don't this have any it. board chairs. No adults. Government <laughs> associations. <laughs> that. Uh, but we've already had a great chat before we went uh, on air. I love doing the show down here. We, we're broadcasting live at uh, Georgia State University at the uh, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. And I just, I feel 10 years younger every time we come down here, don't you? Absolutely. Got a so, great crowd. This is going to be a fantastic episode. First up on this episode, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with the Atlanta Planning Group of Satera Advisors, Independent Financial Advisor, Miss Grace Hayden. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Well, before we get too far into things, Grace, can you tell us a little bit about Atlanta Planning Group? How are you serving folks? Yeah, so we're a group of independent financial advisors. There's about seven of us in the actual office, and then we've got a few that work from their home offices. And we're set up kind of like a law firm in that everyone has their own individual practice, but we share ideas, we share a copy machine, (laughs) stamp machine, all that good stuff, but each of us has our own independent practice. Our specific practice, I work with my father, we have a concentration and socially responsible investing, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so it's kind of how we differentiate from the rest of the group, but everyone's got their own niche. Now, when you say socially responsible, is that your clients are companies or people that run companies that are socially responsible or your investments tend to be in companies that are socially responsible? It's our investment. So actually, um, I grew up in a family with a vegan for a mother. My dad drives a hybrid car. So we get it. But also our clients came to us and said, hey, I mean, I heard there was a school shooting again. Do I own any gun manufacturers in my portfolio? And I don't want to be in that. And how about all this pollution? I want to be investing in companies that are looking for ways to do better and do better for the environment. What about, you know, these diseases affecting children? I want to be investing in people that are trying to make cures for that and help those people. So we screen all the investments in our portfolio. Um, We make sure they're the real deal because as you guys have probably noticed, it's really trendy to stick a green sticker on things and say, this is eco-friendly. This is good for the world. (laughs) So everything has to pass our standards, our due diligence. Um, and make the world a better place. So now, does that help you as an independent financial advisor go out and get clients? Because they're, um, you know, as you're growing your practice, you can invest in a lot of things. A person, the way they choose a financial advisor, I would imagine, um, they care about returns, things like that. But there's a group of people, I would imagine, that say, you know what? I only want to invest in this because that means something to me. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. And and to be fair, we do the full spectrum of investments. We've right, got you're not just inviting, are, investing in companies because they're doing good, yeah. but they're not making any money and they're going to be out of business right. next week. Like yeah. they got to meet a certain kind of criteria in terms of quality. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they still have to to meet our standards and mm-hmm. in, in all levels. Mm-hmm. 
So now, um, how do you go about being a young person uh, getting a book of business? I would imagine that's hard because, uh, you know, you're trying to get people who have a lot of money and they're like, how are they going to trust this young person? How much can they know? Yeah, that's a really valid question. And I think I get that a lot from other entrepreneurs or people who are younger and just starting their career. And some of the best advice I ever got was when you're young, you know, you stand out. Being a woman in a male-dominated environment, you stand out. So have something to say. Just have something to say. Show up with something to say. So every meeting, I have a presentation that I do just on my background, how I went to Georgia State while I was here. I had a dual degree program I was able to do and got a grant to go to Italy. So I have a second bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Venice. Um, I have experience working for some of the top financial firms in the industry. Um, and then I talk about all the ways that I help to practice our socially responsible portfolio, some of the investments in that, how we partner with local nonprofits. So when you show up and have something to say and they see okay you're young you're sharp um but you're hungry and you're you're, and you're making hungry things you're making things yeah. happen but also i think people like to know that there's a plan in place because as people are getting older and starting to retire you know clients that may not be retiring want to know that there's a plan in place that their portfolios are going to be taken care of even after you know half the team retires so Right. So now in your, uh, in your organization, is it something uh, you mentioned your father is part of the organization so that yes. you grew up in this environment a little I bit, did. right? I did. And it's really funny because I got to meet someone who does financial coaching, which is a little different than what I do. I do investments and that sort of thing. This woman helped people develop saving habits and we were doing a talk and we all got to talk about the house we grew up in and our relationship with money and how that was impacted by our parents. And so I started telling stories about how every night I'd go to bed and my dad would tell me in and tell me about the power of compound interest and how the person with the largest Roth has got good odds and only the savers survive and how we can't guarantee any future returns and there's inherent risk in investing, but it's a good thing to do, you know, thinking long term. And I was paid five cents to turn off the lights, always have a budget and that sort of thing. So, so you it's tell very them, innate. You can pay me a penny to turn off the light today, but double it every yeah, day. Yeah, double it every day that the light stays turned off. I wish I I wish I had thought of that. Um, but it is kind of interesting because a lot of things I just kind of grew up with that I've had to take a step back and realize, okay, some things maybe I should explain a little bit more to people. Now, know? what was it like amongst your peers? Because that is unusual to have kind of that understanding of finance and money and, and that. Yeah. Like most people don't have that. Yeah. I think there's a – it's a process, right? At first when you start doing something, it's just based on faith. Someone tells you to do it, so you do it. I think mm -hmm. my friends are kind of in that area, my peers, where it's like, I know I should invest. I know I should contribute to my 401k. I'm going to do it because someone told me to. Then it becomes a habit, and then you see the results. And then you become an advocate, and you start telling more people, hey, you need to do this. So that's kind of how how our my peer group is going to catch on and continue. Now, um, who is your kind of profile of a good client for you and your firm? That's a really good question. And people ask me that a lot, but we just, we, we work with so many different people. Actually, one of the first things that I did when I got back to Atlanta planning group, since I'm kind of a numbers nerd is I started crunching numbers about our client base to learn more about our market. And we have clients in over 32 different States and from 20 different countries. We have a really large international client base. Um, a lot of people are Atlanta natives. I'm an Atlanta native, so we kind of know each other and they're kind of groovy people. We work with a lot of them that are interested in all the socially responsible aspects of our practice, but there's not really a one, uh, not really a mold. So, uh, can they be 25 year olds? Yeah. 
they could be as long as they're serious. Euro. Yeah, as long as they're serious. That's the only thing. If they're not serious, then are you fee you know. based or how does how does the um I do both, but mostly fee based. That's the fastest growing part of my business. And then what does fee based mean for those who actually? That's a good question because it means different things to different people. Some people charge a fee for advice. Um, I don't charge a fee for advice. I get paid on assets under management, and it just depends on how we break down the fee. Um, but yeah. And then uh, the more assets under management, the lower the fee is? It can be, um, but usually we try to keep it pretty low. I think comparatively our fees are lower. Now, what do you think about all these kind of robo-advisors out there a lot of young people are kind of gravitating towards? Yeah, I think that's – I think in a rising market, it's really easy to gravitate towards a robo-advisor because a rising tide raises all ships, right? And we've had a 10-year bull market. It actually just celebrated its 10th birthday about a month ago, Saturday. Anyways, um, and I think there's value to having someone to call to coach you through the emotional aspects of investing. Because the worst thing you can do is buy high and sell low, right? It's buy low, sell high. I didn't make that up. I wish you I didn't did. make that up. I didn't make no. that up. But you doesn't know, doesn't the market ring a bell when it gets to the highest point? It does. So that everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone should know. But um, I, I don't think that there's going to be that same level of rapport with a robo advisor. There's just not. It's just not somebody that you're going to be able to call. I'll take a call at 9 p.m. on a Sunday. I have no issue. You know. Right. And that, and the mistake a lot of people make is when the market does go down, which it does go down, that's mm-hmm. cyclical. Yeah. Right. And, uh, when it does go down, they're like, I got to get out. Yeah. And then they. And we have a name for that. It's actually called recency bias. Whatever is <laughs> happening, you think is going to continue to happen. And so we, our approach, we like to look at fundamentals. So we look at leading economic indicators, which is exciting for me because they always told me you'll never get a job in what you studied in. So just do what you love. And I did. And I get to talk about it all day. But um, we look at leading economic indicators. And as long as the fundamentals are good, we stay invested. We'll shift allocations as needed. But um, yeah. To your point, it shouldn't be fear-based, should be fundamental-based. Right. It should be on some on facts, some not some emotional. Yeah, and exactly. if it's a headline, it's probably too late anyway, right? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> There's, yeah, that's a good point. Because the smart money's already right. kind of found something else to do with it. Now, uh, growing up as the daughter of a financial advisor, was it something at a young age you were like, this is something for me? Or did, were you going to be rebellious and go, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go you know, be an artist. That's a good question. No, I always knew that I would work, you know, helping people. I wanted initially to work in the nonprofit space. I did some internships in college for nonprofits. And um, I worked in our office throughout college and just seeing the impact that we could have with individual families and helping them achieve their goals, whether it be sending kids to college or maybe they want to be able to retire a year or two early. I found that really impactful to be able to sit down with people and, and get to know them, get to know where they want to go in life, what their goals are with their money and what money means to them and help make it happen. So yeah, from a young age, I knew that this is what I so wanted you were to do. On this path. Yeah. But to be fair, my brother went a very different route. He's a musician, drummer, 
Right. So you know, there's always so, a rebel in the family. Yeah. Yeah. So you're on to something. But so now uh, you mentioned nonprofits are important. How does that come into play in in your firm? Yeah. So we work with a really cool nonprofit. They're local to Decatur. They're called Global Growers. Um, we do client events with them about twice a year. And they work with refugees because Atlanta is a refugee relocation site. So they give them plots of land. They come from agricultural backgrounds. So the farmers get to farm and sell the produce to local restaurants and do cool things like brunches for us and our clients. <laughs> so go. our clients come, they get a tour of the gardens. Um, we donate to them on our birthdays and, and match donations at the events. So they're a really great organization. I encourage everyone to check them out. So now you are a GSU alum. I am. Right? So yeah. now when you were deciding to go to GSU, what did your peer group say? Were they like, wow, that's fantastic. Go for it. Or were they like, why are you going to GSU? It was, Yeah, it was a, why are you going to GSU? You can I, go anywhere. You could go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I applied to UGA and Georgia State and NYU. I wanted to go to NYU, but my family sat me down and said, they, Grace, they, should, they did some math. For they you, they right? did some math for me and said, I know you want to travel. You're not going to have a lot of leftover money to travel. So stay in state and between UGA and GSU. Most of my friend group went to UGA. So mm-hmm. I wanted to so, branch again, out. I wanted to be you where being the, the rebel. Right? Yeah, that, that, that was my rebellious streak. Right. I chose GSU over UGA. And but. one of the benefits of GSU, I think, is the great, um, kind of study abroad program they have and they really yeah. encourage international travel. They do. And while I was here, they had the Atlantis program. I don't know if it's still running, but Hope Scholarship paid for a second bachelor's degree for me. On top of it, I got a grant and I got to stay in Italy for two years, which was incredible. So I graduated with two bachelor's degrees for the price of one, as I like to say. And And, uh, um, and a two-year vacation in Italy. A two-year vacation in Italy, (laughs) yes. So what was that like kind of getting an international perspective in in terms of your education of how you see the economy and how a a European economy maybe was different than an American one? Yeah, education in Italy was really interesting because it was kind of the reverse of the United States. It was really, really hard to be able to attend a public school and seats filled up really quickly. So students would get to class about an hour before your class started just to reserve seats in the front row with their friends. Exams, instead of having exams throughout the year, like a midterm and you know quizzes and things to check in and make sure you're on track, you had one exam at the end of the year. It would be three questions. They could be as general or specific as you needed. Sometimes they were oral exams. So I did a cost accounting exam that was an oral exam. I walked in and the professor said, Grace, what is on page 326, section B of your book? Uh, yeah. So it, out of it memory? Was out of memory. Yeah. So some of the exams were really, really difficult. They graded, um, they, they graded a little differently. So the top 30% of the class would pass. So if the top 30% all had Bs, they would pass anything less. They didn't. They'd have to repeat. So it was very, very wow. competitive, very intense. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the challenge. I, I'm a competitive person, so I wanted to do as many classes as I could over there. I wound up doing about seven a semester and just studying all the time intensely before those finals. But yeah. So now what's a day in the life like for a independent financial advisor? That's a great question too. I don't think that there's any day that's the same. We meet with so many people and from so many different backgrounds with so many different jobs that we get to do really cool things all the time and have really interesting conversations, but there is no day that's the same. And so some of it is talking to existing clients. Some Mm -hmm. of it is you have to network and go out. I do have to network. Yeah. I'm up at 
at 5.30 every Thursday. My first meeting starts at 6.45 in the morning. It's a networking group. I go, I talk about my practice, myself, what differentiates me, and we have a referral network. So I do, I try to generate new business, um, meet with those people and get out. Now, in your clientele, um, are some of them business owners or are they yeah. corporate people? Like what both, is both both. We do work with a lot of business owners because we can help them set up retirement plans and, you know, different things to help them retain employees or they might have other options available to them for retirement accounts. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But we do work with a lot of people in the corporate world too. So it really just depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, part of your practice is when you work with a, an individual, do, do you kind of take on their whole family so that if they have a young person in the family, are you kind of teaching them the ropes to give them, you know, so they stay uh, part of the firm? Right. Yeah. We definitely try to involve them in the conversation. It's good to involve them too, because there are statistics on how quickly uh, people who inherit money from their parents will go through their money if a financial <laughs> advisor is not involved. So, you know, a lot of parents want their kids involved anyways to start thinking about it because they're getting their first jobs and they want to teach them how to save and well, start Well, you early. grew up in that environment, so you probably have this kind of a bias that this is the way it is, but that's may, not the yeah. way it is for a lot of that's people. That's true. Right? I And that's something I've had to realize. Not everybody, you know, grows up with Dave Ramsey for a dad, <laughs> basically. Right. So, um Yeah. So you you have a lot of good habits that mm-hmm. maybe some of your peer group don't have. That's true. That's true. So getting people to understand why it's important and, and think big picture is something I think we're good at. Just explaining the benefits of compound interest, that bedtime story. <laughs> right. I, yeah, that's, I wish everybody knew that because it would change a lot of yeah. their behavior. Yeah, it would. It would. Now, uh, part of your relationship with GSU, you graduate here, but you yep. have, you get a lot of interns, right? We do. We have a lot of interns that come from Georgia State. We actually have a connection with the Honors College, so we'll interview about three or four a year. We usually just hire one, um, but they're all great. They're just whiz And kids. so are they typically you know, people that are going to be in this as their profession, or is it... Um, we usually do get a finance major. I think we're going to open it up to entrepreneurship majors now too. Now that I know, there you go. Now that you thing. know that it's yeah, a thing, because a lot of what we do is. I mean, a lot of it's crunching numbers, but a lot of it's also just planning to grow a business and how to and get new clients, people, relationship right? management. Yeah. Thinking of uh, events and different campaigns that we can email people and, you know, keep the conversation and going. Keep, and you want to be kind of, um, you want to get the word out about your good work. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of be out there all the time. Yep. Absolutely. So now, um, how could we help you? What do you need more of right now? You need more interns? You need uh, more clients? What do you need? Um, yeah, send some people my way that want to get started. <laughs> so yeah, uh, young entrepreneurs? You're yeah, young entrepreneurs. I would love that. Send them my way. All right. If somebody wants to learn more, what are the coordinates for your uh, firm? Um, they can go to gracehayden.net. That is our website. You'll see me. You'll see GraceHayden.net. Yep. You'll see my practice. Um, you can call us 404-816-1153, extension 320. I'll pick up the you, phone. You couldn't get GraceHayden.com. You were a little couldn't late. Couldn't get GraceHayden.com. <laughs> the game, There's man, too huh? many of us, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Grace, thank you so much for sharing thank your story. You. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Keep up the good work. I, uh, I have two young girls, and I wish I had started younger. One of them is much more money oriented, money minded than the other, but they both heard dad preach a little bit about some of these disciplines. And I've, you know, I've, I've seen some of the fruits of, of that labor, but I think it's the work you're doing is important. And I love that you are 
uh, taking a focus toward the, the socially responsible investing. Thank That's you. fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, keep up the good work. Stay with us. We're going to visit with a couple yeah, of guests. Yeah, I'd love to. All right, next up on GSU ENI Radio today, we have with us community organizer with Tech Talent South, Miss Crystal. Chisholm, how are you? I'm amazing. Thanks for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. Uh, what'd you learn in that last segment? Did you save any money in the last <laughs> 20 minutes? I'm going, I maybe have to get with her after this. <laughs> well, um, can you share a little bit about Tech Talent South? How are you serving folks? Absolutely. So Tech Talent South is a tech education company specializes in coding boot camps across 12 different cities in the South. Um, you know, cities like Raleigh, Charlotte, Dallas, and it's basically, um, we're fostering talent, um, talent in hubs with, that have, you know, that are growing, um, in the tech scene. So now your job is, do you partner with kind of co-working spaces and things like that, uh, for the, to do the education at their location? Like, how does it work? Absolutely. So that is a part of it. We are currently based out of Strongbox West, which is the um, oldest and largest co-working space here in Atlanta. But mm-hmm. my role mainly consists of, you know, coordinate the programs for the students, coordinate the, the boot camps and the courses. And then, of course, um, actually finding students who fit with our culture. And then on the flip side, outside of the classroom, I find community partners to cu- curate, you know, programming around entrepreneurial and tech ecosystems. So now... Um, I- so what's in it for the student? Absolutely. So are they going to learn to be a coder? Like, is that what they get at the end of the day? Yes, absolutely. So it's an eight-week program, and you come and you learn how to code. So we immerse you in a full hands-on, you know, you have an instructor, you have TAs, and you come in and you learn how to code. And at the end of it – um, you you have their certificate you um you know how to you know how to code and you can either a lot we have a lot of different students come in and do different things so some want to be developers some want to run a tech team someone to do you know create a tech startup so it's an array of different things not just one um you know community that we're serving but at the end of the day everybody's getting the same education or i can specialize in if i want to code Absolutely. So language, there's a class for that. Or if I want to code in a different language, there's a different class for that. Absolutely. So we have a lot of different classes. Our bread and butter is code immersion, which is basically um, where you, if you have no um, experience in coding at all, that's where you come and you learn how to code. And then after that, you can go on to take our one-off classes like UX design, intro to web design, machine learning. So it's a lot of different, um, you know, one-off classes. But um, what most people come and take is our code immersion because they want to learn how to code. They want to immerse themselves in Atlanta's tech community. And then, so if I take that class, could I make an app? Absolutely. What what, what do I get? Yeah. So, so, yeah, absolutely. So as soon as you take that class, you can go and, um, and start your tech career. So it's, of course, we not only do we, um, give you those courses and give you the skills. We also immerse you in the tech community so you can meet um, local tech players so that you can get advice. You can meet these people who are doing cool things and, you know. So, like, you can uh, introduce me to some startups that maybe need coders? Oh, absolutely. So that is um, another part of my role. Um, I'm a resource to the students. So I know um, I've been here in the startup community for maybe about three years since I graduated from Georgia State University. And um, the startups that I am, you know, in touch with, they always need developers. They always need people to manage a tech team um, and one-off, you know, jobs like that. So absolutely. And, you know, the startup community here in Atlanta. Is so big. you know every startup. 
<laughs> not as, <laughs> a lot of them. A lot of them, yes, absolutely. I came from when I first graduated from Georgia State University. I went to work for the city of Atlanta. Um, it was an initiative that served women entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. I started there, and I. Um, since then, my trajectory has basically been working with startups and freelancers and, you know, finding resources that will help startups and freelancers and people who are trying to create businesses. Because part of your job, I would imagine, is to kind of be a matchmaker to help these people find jobs when they finish their certification? Yes, absolutely. So while you're here at Tech Talent mm-hmm. South and beyond, so if you graduate, you know, um, you graduate and then two years later you need a resource or you need something specific, then you can definitely, you know, hit me up like, Hey, Crystal, I'm looking for this. Do you know anyone? And absolutely. I'm going to go try my best, you know, make sure. Right, Cause like, this. and then if you know, like somebody has a startup or they're making an app or something like that and they need some help and they call you and they're like, Hey, Crystal, do you know anybody that can do this? Absolutely. I know the perfect person. I know that I have a, right, you know, a slew of people. So you have both sides covered, right? Yes. You got to know all the startups or a lot of them. And then you asked, uh, you know, some of the talent, right? That it's like good at certain things. Absolutely. So that is exactly my role. Yep. So Mm -hmm. that must be pretty rewarding, right? Yeah, it's really rewarding. I think the biggest part of it is really bringing people together. And, um, you know, at some point, we get a lot of students who want to make a career change. Um, maybe you were in one field and, you know, you may be looking for something different. And I think that Tech Talent South creates that space for students to, you know, immerse themselves in something different and go down a different path. So the most rewarding part for me is basically bringing those students um, into our program, immersing them in the community and then bringing them to you know, different startups and tech companies so they can start that new career, start their new life and, you know, do something different. And when they go through this type of certification, they can make a pretty decent salary, right? Yeah, like developers what, make great money. Right, as like you what know. The, can you give a range of what a developer can make? Because um, it, it so, might surprise some people. Yeah, <laughs> um, a developer can make up to, um, I would say, $150,000 a year, actually. <laughs> I think that's a very high range. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So developers make a lot of money because it is um, a skill that's in need. People right. need. You know, com- companies need people to start those apps and, you know, get back in the back end and code those programs and, you know. Right. And so the, the get certified is nowhere near $150,000. Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. It's not a, <laughs> so what, like, way- what does the immersion cor- course cost? Absolutely. So we, um, our code immersion, we have both full time and part time. So our full time costs $6,750, so $6,750. Then our part time is $4,750. And you know, um, most people who take our part time are people who have, um, full time jobs and they can come at night and take uh-huh. those classes. So now I'm sure Grace will vouch that that's a good investment to spend six thousand dollars to make a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars and the best thing you can invest in is yourself right (laughs) thank you Grace. (laughs) welcome so now this is something that uh, but it's not this isn't something that's a super easy thing you have to have a kind of a mind for this right like i know you guys have a lot of instructions but this is math and you got to yeah, absolutely. Take some work. You can't just show up. This isn't one of those things you just show up and then you're you're going to get the certification. Yeah, it's not like grand. becoming a radio host or yeah, something like, like that. <laughs> you are absolutely right, um, th- which is why we try and find students who actually fit in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to come learn how to code, it's not something that's going to fall out of the sky and hit you. You really <laughs> right. have to you know, be immersed in it and, you know, um, put some work into it if you really want to, you know, see something fruitful come from it. So absolutely. And then there like there are some things that you can take online or your own pace this is not that this is a kind of a boot campy you got to buckle down show up 
do the work. Yes, right. absolutely. So when some people need a more structured learning environment and, you know, some people don't right. like some people can take um, Go courses on online. And, exactly. Like, figure stuff out on exactly. I did that with um, graphic design. I went online and learned that on YouTube. But if right. I wanted to be a coder, I don't think I could, you know, learn that um, online. So, you know, having that camaraderie, having that small cohort of students around you and having the hands on attention from an instructor can really, you know, foster, you know, learning. Right. And then so you're working kind of you have to do the work yourself, but there's a team of people that are helping you succeed and be successful. Absolutely. And I am definitely one of those people. Mm -hmm. Right. So now for you, um, you went from Georgia State to the city of Atlanta. So what drew you to um, Tech Talent Sound? Like, how'd you find them or they found you or how'd that work? <laughs> Absolutely. I found them. So during my time at Georgia State, I um, majored in philosophy. Um, oh, so that's logical. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's helped me and it's still helping me on the path that I'm on today, which is working in startups. You know, when you work for a startup, they need all hands on deck. They need problem solvers. Right. So, um, you know, the critical thinking and the problem solving part of philosophy has helped me, you know, in my trajectory of working with small businesses and entrepreneurs and startups. So it basically led me, I applied for the internship um, at, with the city of Atlanta and it was working with women entrepreneurs, like I said before. And it was actually down here, ATL, um, Flatiron City, the large, the oldest skyscraper here in Atlanta. Right. That's where my first intern was, like my first real. That's that you know, narrow building, right? Exactly, that narrow building. Um, um, so once I left there, I was like, you know what? I think I know what I want to do. I think I know that I want to work with startups mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs. Because, you know, Tech Talent South is a startup. Though we are in, you know, 12 different cities across the southeast, it's still very small markets within those cities. So right. um, when I found it, I saw that, you know, they needed people who knew how to solve problems, someone who was quick on their feet and, you know, someone who knew a lot of people. So, yeah, absolutely. I found them. And, you know, after being in that, tech and entrepreneurial space. I was like, I think that, you know, I'm ready to move on to something with a bit more moving parts and, you know, really help people on the ground who are trying to get into these startups and small businesses. And your role isn't the tech helper. You're more the business developer, community organizer. You're helping connect people, right? That's more your role. Absolutely. It's more managerial from that standpoint, right? It is absolutely more managerial. I don't have um, a lot of skills. You're not in... doing a lot of coding. No, I'm not. You're not the person maybe to go to to help... Uh, no, right. I'm not. I think the most, um, you know, experience I have in coding is I'm not sure um, if you remember MySpace where you could go into the back page and, you know, do the HTML, CSS. You know and kind of Yes, I do know how to do that. Um, you know, I can teach that. But as far as anything beyond that, then right. no. you have experts that do that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So we definitely bring in experts who are, um, you know, very yeah, the, the experienced in the ninjas. in the languages. Right. Absolutely. Now, for you, what do you need more of? Do you need more students? Do you need more um, startups? What? How do you? Um... Absolutely. So, what I need, um, you know, as running the Atlanta market here um, for Textile and South partners. I am trying to, which is the best part of my job for me, is really creating a community and bringing people together mm -hmm. to learn a new skill or um, create a new experience. So absolutely, I need people who are interested in creating something big um, here in Atlanta, whether it's an event, um, you know, something, a startup, or, you know, just really bringing people together. Now, uh, you mentioned that this there's 12 Tech Talent Souths around mm -hmm. uh, the region, I guess the South. Yes. And um, how much help do they give you in terms of 
the direction or are you kind of autonomous to do whatever you think is right here in Atlanta? Absolutely. So that goes back to that problem solving thing. Mm-hmm. So they definitely give us, um, the company definitely, definitely gives us a basis of how things should be run, ways to handle issues, you know, systems and things like that. But, um, they trust us to use our discretion on what's best for the classroom, what's best for the students and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now do they help you kind of say, okay, you need to partner with these kind of people or you got to plug into like GSU ENI, like do they give you kind of direction like that? Or, or like are you work with the ATDC and Georgia Tech or mm-hmm. the different kind of uh, university? So because this role was around before me, there were partnerships created way oh, before, before I got, got here. here. Absolutely. So with that, um, I used the partnerships that were here before me, but then I also, um, like I told you, I work with those women entrepreneurs and different startups. Right. So I also have my own connections, which I brought to Tech Talent mm-hmm. South. And then um, what do you got going on? Is there any events or anything happening right now? Absolutely. There are um, a few things happening right down here in um, downtown Atlanta. Speaking of Flatiron City, um, I stayed connected after leaving there. I stayed connected, you know, with the owner and the community organizer over there. So we um, have a Tech Talk series coming up um, where we're giving early stage um, entrepreneurs a platform to talk about their company, what they're doing, how they're changing the innovation ecosystem here in Atlanta. And then um, the other is a co-work crawl. Um, I love co-working spaces, and mm-hmm. I know that um, entrepreneurs and small businesses, they always need some place to work and are looking for, you know, the next hottest place to get that energy and, you know, invigorate their businesses. So I'm doing a downtown ATL co-work crawl. Very and soon. are you looking to partner with more co-working spaces? So I have a good, a pretty solid lineup right now. And of mm-hmm. course, Flatiron City is one of them. I have a, a pretty solid lineup. So I'm really looking for people to come out and kind of learn more about these spaces and how they're fostering innovation here in um, Atlanta. And then how do you help the co-working space when you go in and when do one of these pop-up events? Absolutely. So basically, it's twofold. Um, we get to show people around downtown Atlanta and show them what resources they have. And then the co-working spaces, like they get people to come in and see the spaces and possibly, you know, shop with them or, you know, get an office there. And then for you, you help them offer education. Do you do do you do Tech Town South at the different co-working spaces? Do so you, no. Um, or you only yeah, do that at Strongbox West. That's at, the only place where that happens. Yeah. So we are based out of Strongbox West. Mm-hmm. I love them. They have an amazing culture over there. And that's the only place that the, the classes are taking place. Yes, absolutely. We have our classroom at Strongbox West. Good stuff. Well, if somebody wanted to learn more and get involved, where's the website? Um, the website is www.techtalentsouth.com slash Atlanta. Good stuff, Crystal. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Stay with us. we got one more guest we're going to visit with. Absolutely. All right, Lee, you ready for the headliner? I am. Hey, she's been very patient, I think. You know, she's, she's, I, I thought I saw her taking some notes, but I know I saw her nodding her head and really kind of engaged. There was a, uh, so I think she's been paying, been paying yes. attention. Yes, I have. All right. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast CEO of EcoDrop Technologies, Miss Nicole tool how you doing i'm good i'm doing really well i'm glad to be here well we got you prepped to to save and and, and make more money and be wealthier right, right. we got you, you set know up about too. compounding you yes. know about the co-working spaces and if you need any coders for your business mm-hmm. which you may or may not there you go now you have resources there I'm all set. so tell us about EcoDrop. how are you serving folks yes so EcoDrop is a reverse vending machine company and so basically what we do is we accept plastic bottles and aluminum cans and exchange we give our users rewards. Lean in there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Rewards that they can use around the So it's a community. reverse 
uh, vending machine. machine. So yes. I just take like there's plastic bottle in front of you. Mm-hmm. I pop it in that machine, mm-hmm. and then what happens? And then after that, you'll be able to receive a certain amount of points, and mm-hmm. this can be used in Atlanta for different foods and services. So, so um, who would be uh, the primary user of this in your mind? So right now we are focusing on university students, mm-hmm. um, but in the future we hope to expand this to the public. Um, we really just saw an opportunity to give the homeless a chance to um, make an income while also being able to get you know things that they need. Um, so it, it, yeah. it, that's who the target is, the homeless? Not right now, um, uh, but future in you, the future. Future you will be <laughs> focusing as a service for the homeless in order to get uh, to use that as a way to collect the stuff that's out there and then put it in the machine and then get a credit or use a gift card or something. Exactly, exactly. So so they had this idea come about. So um, I was initially in the Digital Learners to Leaders program at Georgia State University. Um, and so basically this is a phenomenal program and they take students from all disciplines, all majors, and they put them into groups in order to create a technological solution to a societal problem. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge. So I was just randomly put into a group and we started brainstorming ideas and pollution was the number one thing that we knew was a problem on our planet. And so we just wanted to figure out a way to incentivize recycling because we saw, we know that a lot of people know that it's important to recycle, but they just don't do it because I mean, they're lazy. Exactly. So we really just wanted to create a way to reward people for doing the good that needs to be done. So um, that's really how we started. Our group is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and we really just continued. That's how the idea bloomed. So who's on your team? So we have Kelly Ish- Kelly Tran, Ishir Vasavada, Corey Townsend and Kamar Douglas. Is this the same group yes. that started in that room? Yes. So same just group. you were randomly placed together and now yes. you have a company? <laughs> yes, yes. So. Wow, that's nuts, huh? Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of, honestly, I always say that it was kind of perfect because we have, we had the coders, we had the marketing, we had finance, we had um person who was interested in business strategy. So it was just Everyone just was perfectly. And you all agreed to this as a concept? Yes. What were some of the other ideas that didn't make it? So we had an idea for student or for children who are um, in the foster care system um, because we knew that a lot of children um, are exposed to abuse. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create an application or a, um, a device. So like if they're in need of help, it'll just automatically call the police or call their, um, their foster care right. supervisor. So we had a lot of ideas. We had, um, yeah. So that was the so, one. That almost so you made. landed on EcoDrop, and then how did did you build a prototype? Like what stage are you at now? Is yes. there like actual machines out there? So right now we are still prototyping. Um, we are planning to use Georgia State as a um, pilot. Um, and they so, were up for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they actually were. We've talked to the sustainability department. Um, so we're really planning to get this thing. So how do you build the machine? There. Like, is that hard or easy? It's got to fit all kinds of different bottles and cans, right? Well, the prototype has like a little guy it's in there little, that just hands it. Get crushes. What that crushes? <laughs> you got to start somewhere. What do you call that? Minimum viable <laughs> product. product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, right now we're just in the beginning of the fall semester. We're going to really start very basic, very 
Um, no moving parts, nothing, not even It's just going to collect the just collect the stuff. Right. It's not going to crush it or anything. Not yet, yes. Right. Um, but we do have two engineers on our team, Kahende and Brendan. And They're they've in been of working. Crushing. <laughs> figuring all that stuff out because Lord knows I don't know how to do it. Um, <laughs> we, our, our plan right now is to lease our machines to universities. Um, and that'll be our greatest source of new. Um, but we also plan to um, use the recyclables that we collect and partner with a recycling um, management facility um, where we could sell those um, the items that we collect or it'll be up to the university to do what they want with it but um, our main source of revenue would be through our the leasing of our machines wouldn't yes. it be great if there was someone in the room who believes in doing social good and making money right imagine where that. would we find that person <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how right. these are three randomly selected people and there's a thread that ties everybody together how many times does that happen so now for you what's been the most rewarding part of this entrepreneurial journey because it's one thing you know you're going to school you're out here battling Mm -hmm. in school and then you're learning (laughs) stuff and then you're like hey i'm making something this is real and this could help and and help a lot of people um it's where the rubber hits the road right right um i feel like it's the most rewarding part is just seeing the process work out and like knowing what the end vision is in mind. Um, so and you just, can see it as if it's real, mm-hmm, right? Yes. Even though it doesn't exist yet, Not but yet. in your mind's eye, it is there. <laughs> just got to get there. <laughs> just got to get there. And you're taking the steps, mm-hmm. right? Yes, sir. Yes. So now how has the, have you been involved in the entrepreneurship and innovation Institute? Are you here as um, part of this or you're doing this? You're kind of freelancing this. Uh, we are not a part of ENI, um, but yeah. Oh, there's a lot of resources here, right? Um, so we, yeah, we're not a part of any. We're actually looking to get into an accelerator program to help us. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow. we are not. I w- imagine if there's someone here that might Absolutely. know. Absolutely, I thought about two when she said. That. I was like, ooh, I know two already. <laughs> and especially women-oriented ones. There's some of those out there. Absolutely, well. absolutely. That's perfect. That would be great. Yeah. (laughs) We need making connections. (laughs) Yes. So um, now uh, how has Georgia Georgia State's helped in terms of giving you a place to beta, which is super Mm -hmm. important, right? That's going to be proof of concept. Right. Um, So, yeah, Georgia State has been beyond helpful, um, especially with – because we've been partnering with CEDL, which um, is right down the street. But um, they've been a tremendous help to us. Um, just giving us a place to start and also giving us a little bit of funds to get it moving as well. Really? So, <laughs> man. So we definitely need that. So so now, have you gotten investors or is this your own money or fan, friends and family money? So we are still um, in the process of looking for sponsors and investors because um, um, – so yeah. So right now, we're really just using um, whatever grants that we find because um, we – yeah, so that's kind of so you got a focus. grant. We don't, but we are still looking. looking. We're looking, yes, yes. So now, uh, is this your first entrepreneurial venture, or you've done some other things, side hustles, or anything like that? <laughs> um, I have always been uh, had a very entrepreneurial mindset, um, even just growing from a very young age. Um, but so when I came into Georgia State, I had just gotten, I had just been healed from a brain injury. So one thing that was very difficult for me during that time was finding resources to um, help me and like people who um, were going through the same thing that I was. So I, after I was, I recovered, 
Um, I started an organization that helps those with brain injuries find the resources that they need and it just give them a support system. So um, it's called Concussion Be Gone. So that's really what I started coming in and then I found So you it. had a severe concussion? I did. <laughs> I did. So in January of 2018, I used to play basketball um, and it was during a basketball game and I just slammed my head on the floor and it's out. And so everyone says, you know, concussions only last. Right. A month, you know, most. But mine lasted eight months. So wow. um, it was really difficult. So after that, that's when I was like, I need to change, put my pain mm-hmm. to power and help some people. So wow, good for you. Yeah. What inspired you to do that? Um, just your frustration with the lack of resources? Yeah, mainly just the frustration. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so then you got that going too. Mm-hmm. And you're a full-time student, mm-hmm. and you got this other eco job. Yeah, That's- <laughs> I'm figuring. I'm. I'm. It's a work in progress, but I like the work. I like. I like this. I like staying busy. And then, uh, is there a website for eco drop? Like, what are the coordinates, or is there coordinates for you? What's the best way? For people who want to help you. Yes. So um, you can go onto our website, www.ecodrop.tech. And we're also on Instagram, ecodrop.ecodrop.tech. Um, and you can find us there. Um, so, yeah. And then right now you need more funds. You need investors. You're open for that. Yes. And uh, <laughs> you need more time to get all your work done. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if it was longer than 24 hours? That would be... Good stuff. This must be so much fun for you, though. It is. It's it's the most rewarding thing. Did you imagine as a young person uh, that this would be your life, that it would be, go in this direction? How did you see yourself as a young person? I had no idea. Um, I always knew I would do something that would change the world. That's something I've always known. Didn't know how. But I know that's that's the that's where I'm headed. So that's good yeah. stuff. Put your dent in the universe right exactly (laughs) all right well nicole thank you so much for sharing your story thank you so much for having me all right this is lee Cantor for stone payton we will see you all next time on gsu eni radio right oh my gosh good job ladies you guys are my heroes okay